0: Good morning, everybody. That was a good one. You guys usually aren't that uh, active when I say good morning to you. Thank you. Do you know what I'm finding the best thing about studying miracles is? uh, I think it is that they really begin to reveal the character of Jesus and like what he's about and what he's worried about and what he's he's consumed with and just who he is. Uh, I think these miracles do that uh, very well. Miracles reveal the character of Jesus. And so far um, we've seen Jesus engaging with a lot of uh, people on the outside. And I think that's an attribute of Jesus. And I think it's an attribute of Jesus that we could, we can kind of lean into a little bit, is that Jesus mostly dealt with people on the outside um, and was mostly in conflict with people on the inside, which, um, as a pastor, I find myself to be a religious insider, and that makes me nervous. If Jesus is in conflict with the religious insiders and engages with the those on the outside, it kind of uh, makes me nervous. And I hope if you see yourself to be a religious insider that it makes you nervous as well. Um, but this whole series, and, and in particular this morning, it's about Jesus. I would hope that every time you come to North Church and you hear uh, Dave talk or Jeff talk or me talk or anybody talk, that, they're, that it's, it's centered around Jesus. And, and this morning is is really centered around Jesus. There's a there's a movie that's out. I think it came out a couple of weeks ago. Uh, my wife and I went to see it. It's called Gifted. Have you guys heard about this movie? Um, it, it's the, the premise of the movie is there's this, this young girl. I don't know exactly how old she is, maybe seven or so, and she's extremely gifted. And her mother uh, was just like Fields Medal, like trying to prove some mathematical deal or something. I don't know. Um, that was re- like no one has ever done, and sh- and she was one of the ones that that did it. And her her mom w- was very uh, interested and and like pushing this girl mathematically, and all of her life was centered around math, and she didn't do anything else, and it it, it drove her to commit suicide. And so this little girl, this seven year old girl, now doesn't have a mom, so she goes to live with her her uncle, and uh, this uncle has has this this sort of a philosophical mind and he's beginning to realize that this this daughter this this niece that he has 7-year-old girl is, is extremely gifted and that's how they come up with the name gifted. So the whole movie is about the, this process of of how they deal with this girl and and the struggle with how to raise this girl with her her grandmother's kind of out of the picture and and her uncle is now her caregiver and there's a lady that 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 works that kind of runs an apartment complex where they live that's, that's really involved in this girl's life, and it's all kind of centered around this, this one gifted girl, and she's got this great relationship with her uncle, and, and it's, it's her and the uncle that are kind of the stars of the movie, and this scene happens um, where the little girl says to her philosophical uncle who is her primary caregiver, she says, is there a God, and he says, I don't know, and she says, just tell me. And then the uncle responds, I would if I could, but I don't know. And neither does anyone else. And then she responds with, Roberta knows. Roberta's the lady that loves her and, and lives near them. And the uncle responds with, no, Roberta has faith. And that's a great thing to have. But faith is about what you think and feel, not what you know. Then she says, what about Jesus? And, and he responds with, to her, I love that guy. Do what he says. And it's, it's, it's really like, this is, if, if I could have do a good job to, to connect you with the heart of the movie, the heart of the movie is like, this guy is really philosophical and he wants the best for his niece and his entire life. He's, he's thrown his life upside down. He works forever to, to provide a life for this little girl. Um, and there's the whole drama of like, mom and dad issues that are part of his world and, and and she doesn't have a dad and it's just really hard, really difficult situation. And and here this little girl is, is inquisitive and he rejects the notion that there's a God. And he rejects the philosophy behind God and and the reality of, of whether there is a God or not. But then this little girl brings up Jesus and this philosophical mind who, who cares deeply for his this, his niece says, I love that guy. Do what he says. And so as I'm, I'm thinking about that, this is popular art that, that speaks this. I'm not so sure about God, but Jesus, yeah, I can get behind that. I can get behind that guy. Um, so we have a world, I believe, that is, is exactly there. Like, not really sure about God, there's evil in the world, how can evil exist and God exist, and and I just got issues with believing and giving myself to a a faith in God. But then you talk about Jesus, I can get behind that. And I think that uh, that short little scene, and it's it's a beautifully shot scene, uh, and that short little scene kind of reveals... Like what our culture is, is thinking here. We, we, Jesus is something we can kind of get behind. And here in this story, in this miracle, I think is a perfect example of, yeah, I can get behind a guy like that. Um, but there's, there's far more to it. So um, let's, let's turn to our scripture. And I want to say two other things too. Back about the, the insider-outsider piece. John has written this book, and, and he expresses his, his purpose for writing the book is so that you might see Jesus as the Messiah, the Savior of the world, and you might have life and have it in his name. That's John's purpose for the book. And, and the stories that he's relating here in this context, this is the third story. The first one starts with, with the woman at the well, when Jesus encounters a woman at the well who. First of all, she's a woman and she's from a race that he, couldn't, he shouldn't be connecting with, but he connects with her anyway. She is the definition of outsider. And then last week, he is in Jerusalem and he's, he's talking with some people around where he grew up and, and a guy from the outside comes in among a bunch of religious insiders and, and Jesus engages with this guy. And kind of shuns the insiders and reaches out to the outsiders. And now, here is an engagement with uh, a really, really outsider. Uh, so verse, verse 1 says, um, After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. Um, we need to get some context here. A sheep gate. So the city of Jerusalem was walled and there's seven or eight gates around the edge of the city. And, and this particular gate that Jesus went into is called the sheep gate. Uh, do you know why it's called the sheep gate? It's for sheep. That's exactly right. So inside the very near the sheep gate is the temple. And where the temple is, is where they would make sacrifices, mostly of sheep. So when somebody was coming to sacrifice a sheep, they would come through the sheep gate. So what's around the sheep gate is a lot of stuff that you might, be from, might think would be around a sheep gate. Have you ever been around a sheep? You ever been to like the, the zoo and seen sheep or, or been around a bunch of sheep? They are nasty creatures, right? They are. Um, you guys wearing cotton today? Thank you, sheep. Um, but sheep like wear cotton they don 't get a chance to like like wash their cotton. It just like if you if we were to go out and work outside all day today, our cotton church would get pretty nasty, right, so the sheep doesn't have a chance to like it's just they're nasty creatures, and they also you know. Use the bathroom outside, and they use the bathroom near this gate. This is what I'm trying to say: is this is a nasty place. If you're going into the city of Jerusalem, you tr- unless you're bringing in a sheep, you don't. There's a reason why they have a sheep gate, so the other gates don't have sheep around them, right? If you try to bring a sheep out in a gate that's not the sheep gate, you're going to get in trouble. So this is a nasty place. Then uh, let's read verse. Three, uh, in these lay multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. So there's the stench of nastiness of sheep around here, and now there's people, a room, uh, not a room, a, like a courtyard, filled with lame, blind, and paralyzed people. And here's the, here's the other piece that doesn't say here. The, uh, the Jews in this age, if they were confronted with someone who has a disease or is lame, asking for what was called alms, they were required by the law to give to them. So there's two reasons why people would want to avoid this place. One, it's a sheep gate. And two, they will be uh, asked for money and they will be required by the law to give money to these people. Have you guys ever um, come to a stoplight and seen someone with a sign? Uh, what do you do there? Look straight ahead? Try not to make eye contact? Do you give to them? Do you, have you ever been this way? Knowing there's somebody that's going to be on this corner? And I'm just going to avoid that corner. I'm going to take a different route home. Or, or prepared yourself there, Like there's a reason, I, I, I think, may, maybe it's just me, but I think sometimes we avoid this opportunity to engage with those um, that are different than us or not as materially um, in, a, in a good place as we are. And here... Jesus is bringing his disciples through the sheep gate, engaging with these people. Um, Then, verse 4. Let's take a look up here. Can you guys see verse 4? It's not up there. It's a little trick there. There is no verse 4. There is no John 5, 4. Um, Why is that? I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but I think this is really important for us. Uh, to parenthetically state. There is no John 5, 4. Um, you may have, look at your Bible, if you have your Bible out, you may have a little um, a little footnote there. That footnote will read something like, um, many translations delete verse 4 because, uh, and, and they may give you what verse 4 might be. If you have a King James Version, you have verse 4 in your Bible. If you don't have a King James Version, most likely you don't have a verse 4 in your Bible. Because, here is, there is a process for the canonization of Scripture and what we have to be Scripture. And that process is mainly, there are scholars who look at hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of uh, uh, different manuscripts of the original language. So, um, and I'm going to, I've got a blog post I'm going to put up tomorrow that goes into more detail about this. But ultimately, if we can rely on the, the reliability of Scripture, if the manuscripts that we've found in in one area match the manuscripts that we found in another area, which match the manuscripts we found in another area. So there's literally thousands and thousands, I think about 25,000 copies of the New Testament that we have, that we've tracked down. And if they match up in all 25,000, then we can trust that this is what the original authors said. If there are some inconsistencies there, the likelihood is the person who translated, who manuscripted it, was parenthetically writing something or was writing a commentary about a verse and most scholars believe that that what appears in verse four in other translations is just a a commentary here uh and so basically what it says in other verses is that the pool would get stirred up every now and then and when the pool would get stirred up people would go down the invalids would go down into the pool to try to be healed and when it would get stirred up but um That doesn't appear in every manuscript, so it's been left out of of this verse. Um, Verse 5. One man who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. 38 years. You know what year it was 38 years ago? 1979. Where were you in 1979? See, there's... What, maybe six of us in this room that were alive in 1979? (laughs) Those that that were, or, yeah, I'm old, whatever, yeah. Um, We've had uh, a lot of presidents since then. Jimmy Carter was our president in 1979. Um, You guys remember his presidency? Nope. Um, 38 years, this guy has been crippled an invalid. He's been only able to lay. Think about, th- this is that's a really long time, 38 years. This is where this guy has been. Um, then, verse 6, Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there a long time. And he said to him, do you want to be healed? Um, the interesting part about this encounter is that every other encounter that I can find, that I can See here that Jesus has where he performs a miracle, someone has come to him. Here, Jesus is going to this guy. Do you see the difference there? Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there for a long time. He said, Do you want to be healed? Jesus knows this guy. I want to stop for a second and remove ourselves from the details of this encounter because um, we can get lost in the details of a miracle. But what's happening here is Jesus, the character of Christ that's being revealed in this moment, is that Jesus knows this guy. Can I say this to you? I want to I say this to you in a, in a meaningful way. I want you to hear me say this. Jesus knows you. Like, we know that, but I, I, want you to, I want you to understand. Whatever you are, wherever you are, what's ever going on in your world, and I know some of your stories, but this is the truth. Jesus knows you. Like, allow your mind to chase that for a little bit. That's really... I think it's important. Jesus knows you, and he knows this guy. Verse 7, the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. Um, I think this statement is really metaphorical for us. My life is going to be better if I could just make this thing happen. Or there's something other than God, there's something other than Christ that can change my life or change my circumstance. If I could just find the right, fill in the blank, things are going to be better. That's what this guy is ultimately saying to Jesus. Jesus knows him and encounters him and says to him, what can I do? Do you want to be healed? And the guy says, yes, I want to be healed, but I can't make it happen because I, every time that I get up to go down to this pool, something happens and, and I can't make it happen. Do you ever feel like I'm, I'm this way a lot? I'm this way a lot in the last several months, actually. Do you ever feel that if I could just find the answer to this question, if I could just understand this thing about Christ, if I could just understand this thing about me, about my situation, about my environment, about if I could just just something that's at the, at the, the tip of my tongue, at, at just beyond my reach, if I could just get that, then things would be different and better. Can we be honest with each other enough to, to say that we live there a lot? If I could just grasp at something that's fleeting, and that's what this guy's trying to do. He's grasping at something that's fleeting. He thinks that somehow this water has some sort of miraculous power. And if I could just get there, and and something in this world, somebody... Did you see what he said? Look at, look at what he said. Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool. I can't do this myself. But when the water is stirred up, while I'm going down, somebody steps in before me. There's some people around me are the cause for my pain and my staying this way. And an inability in me is the cause for my issue. And we seek out things other than Christ to solve our issues. But Jesus knows this guy and Jesus is seeking to engage this guy in the middle of that. Like this is, pardon me while I preach to myself. In a season where I just don't know what's next, what to do, Jesus is engaging with us. Like it's, it's knee-buckling to me to think that this savior of the world knows me and knows my situation and wants me to stop seeking something other than him to provide, to fill that need. Um, this guy is close, but he just can't get there. His own flaws and other broken people are keeping him from the place of life. Do you see that? His own flaws and the people around him are, are keeping him from a place of life. But Jesus knows him. Verse 8, the miracle happens. Jesus said to him, get up, take your bed, and walk. Like, Jesus doesn't just know you, but he's got compassion for you. Like, think... Like, This is the Messiah, has compassion. He knows you and he has compassion for you, but he also has power. He does something about this guy's situation. Verse 9, at once the man was healed. At once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. And now that day was the Sabbath. Um, It's interesting that he healed on the Sabbath. He's not supposed to do that, according to the insider's Traditions, you're not supposed to do that. But Jesus is more concerned with having compassion than following rules. Um, look at Jesus. Uh, here's a here's a piece about this story that makes me crazy and makes people other people crazy. So there's a there's a bunch of people in this setting, right? Not just this one guy who's been an invalid for 38 years, there's a bunch of people here that need to be healed. Why doesn't Jesus heal them? Um, that's, a, that's a hard question to answer. Uh, I, have a, I have an idea, but I don't, I, don't, I don't know the answer to that question. Why doesn't Jesus heal everybody? Um, there was a, there's a young girl named... Kara, who's a part of a church uh, that, that I spend a lot of time with who passed away this week. Um, why, didn't, why didn't God heal her? Um, there's a guy who was engaging with, with somebody who was sick and dying of cancer and said to her, went to go pray with this, this lady and she said, um, pray with me that Jesus would heal me. And he said, I'll pray, but I also pray that God would give you the the opportunity to, to to be understand that God is wiser than us and if he doesn't act then we, we can be at peace with that. I pray that you'll have peace with that. And she looked at him and said if Jesus doesn't heal me I've got no use for him. And so I, how, do, how do we deal there? How do we deal with the fact that Jesus healed one guy out of hundreds? Does Jesus not have compassion on them? Does Jesus not have compassion on Kira, who just passed away, and her family? Does Jesus not have compassion on, on the woman that my pastor friend was talking to? Does Jesus not have compassion on the people in your life that are sick and have been sick for a long time? I, I, I can't say he doesn't because like, his character is that he does, but why doesn't he heal? Um, I think J.C. Ryle, uh, who's an 1800s minister, said this. Health is a good thing, but sickness is far better if it leads us to God. Prosperity is a great mercy, but adversity is a greater one if it brings us to Christ. I think the, the fact is that we are consumed with our physical realities Many times we're so consumed with our physical realities that we miss the spiritual reality that's happening to us. Could it be that your brokenness is a means to the end of knowing Christ? I think that's at the heart of this miracle. Um, I'm going to spend the last few minutes looking at the character of Jesus And then maybe giving us some marching orders as we push forward. First, I've said it already, Jesus knows you, Jesus has compassion, and Jesus does something. In this story, those three things reveal the character and nature of our Christ. He knows the people, he has compassion on them, and then he does something. And he has the power to do something. Think back to the the gifted scene that I just mentioned uh, at the beginning of the sermon. That God I'm not so sure about, but Jesus, I can get behind that guy. We have a culture that's saying that to us and and is willing to, to listen about Jesus. And here is Jesus acting out of his knowledge of you, out of his compassion for you, and then actually doing something. So what does that look like for us? Um knowing people I want like here comes some some great opportunity to be practical to be like Jesus how many people outside of the faith outside of your church context how many people do you know Do you understand when I say no? Like, think about the the person that lives next door to you and across the street from you. Do you know the biggest stress in their life? If you don't, What does that say? Does that speak to you in some capacity? What about your... Um, there's a lot of us in here who have, have kids in school. What about your kids' teachers? Do you, do you know them? What about your, your friends at work? Do you know them? I believe... That we're called to be like Jesus, and we're called to know people like Jesus. Um, So our world is uh, is really filled with, I think, people crying out to be known. And I think it makes us uncomfortable to really know people. I think it's hard to really know people. And I I think that we may be a little bit afraid of knowing people. Because what if we get to know somebody and we start talking about Jesus and they look at this miracle and say, why didn't Jesus heal everybody? And you won't have an answer for them. I don't even really have an answer for them. And I've been to seminary. I don't get it. I don't understand. But our call is to be like Jesus. And even like this, the atheist art that showed up and gifted, the guy said, be like that guy. Like we're, we have a culture that's that's ready and willing And we get so consumed about what we're supposed to do. Like, what are we supposed to be as a church? Who are we supposed to be as a church? How am I supposed to to live in my world? Here it is, right in front of you. Go and know people. And this is, I hope, really convicting to you. To go and know people. To know their story. And like... I've lived my entire life, saved six months from when I was first born. I've lived it in 63135, Ferguson. And the story that came out of hashtag is know people. Know the struggle. We're all in this jacked up world trying To get something that's beyond our reach, just like this metaphorical story here, this this guy. Bring this the the reality of this guy's world into the into the metaphor of your life. We live in a culture surrounded by people who desperately want to be known, and there's something that's better that's just beyond their reach, beyond their fingertips. Our world is screaming it. There's something that's better for me just beyond my fingertips. And if we're going to be like Jesus, we're going to engage in that and know people, know people. And here's the danger, like, I don't want to be this guy saying, you guys go do this. Like, welcome to me preaching to myself. The second thing, Jesus had compassion, go and have compassion, love people. What does it mean to really love people, to enter into their situation? Jesus and his disciples went through the sheep gate knowing they're going to engage with some people that they probably would rather not engage with. Have compassion. Where, like, think about it. Somewhere in the world is a human being who you have a unique voice into their world. Like no other person on the planet has a voice into their world who knows their pain and has a chance to love their pain like you. Do, you, do, we, walk, do we know that? There's somebody in my world, in your world, who I have a unique opportunity to love, like no one else in the world can love. To be like Jesus is to go and know and love that person. And then the last thing is just go do something. Go do something. Like that's deeply profound. Look at Jesus. He just, his whole life... He's on a mission to go and, and, and die on the cross and teach, but all along the way, he's just doing stuff. Your mission one day is to be before a holy God and worship him forever and be exactly who and how and what you were created to be. And along the way, just do stuff. Just do stuff. I think I'll just stop talking now. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for Jesus and his life and his character and his example. Lord, I pray that you would motivate hearts motivate lives in this room to go and be like Jesus, to go and know people and to love people and then to do something. God, I thank you for instances of that here in our midst, Father. I thank you for People like the Hammonds who love and serve their neighbors and their, and their school. I thank you for people like Danielle who goes halfway across the world and leaves her family to go and love and serve. God, I thank you for so many other stories here, God. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds and our spirits to exactly what it is you're calling us to do and be, Father. I thank you for Jesus who, who has lived a perfect life and died on the cross that we might be in relationship with you, Father, who has who known us individually and loved us individually and done something. And God, would that be our motivation to go and do something, God, Lord, your gospel is beautiful and your son is beautiful. God, allow it to motivate us to go and engage with the world. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name. Amen.